We are thankful for a good day. We are the second leg of our worship service today, and we're grateful that we have the opportunity to come together to worship God in spirit and in truth. We're going to be looking at John 15, the first 11 verses in just a minute. I do want to express appreciation to each of you that brought, brought food for our graduates today. We had a great, great day. We had a number of people that stayed to honor our graduates. It was I think it was a great afternoon and we appreciate them and we're very proud of their accomplishments and it is our prayer that God will richly bless them. And we have a lot of young people, we have a lot of talent and it's gonna be exciting to see what they do in the future and to think about all, all of the contributions that they can make and will make in the society in which we live. We're gonna be looking tonight at John 15 verses one through 11 talking about the theme, joy in the Lord. Sometimes we talk to one another about our emotional state, whether we're happy or sad, joyful or frustrated. Sometimes the terms that we use may or may not express how we really feel. A lot of times individuals will talk about being happy in life. And typically when I think about happiness or individuals who claim to be happy, I associate that with external circumstances. There are certain things that take place in an individual's life and that stimulates happiness. But what I want to talk about tonight is not necessarily happiness but joy, and I think there's a difference because the joy that I'm talking about is not really dictated by external circumstances, but rather it is deep-seated. It is a constant in our lives. What is it that brings about this deep-seated joyfulness in the lives of God's people? Well, we want to look at that tonight. And so as we look at John 15, we have Jesus talking to the apostles. Really, if you look at John chapters 14 through 16, you need to understand that contextually, Jesus is specifically talking to his 12 apostles or disciples. But there are a lot of things that we can make application from as we look at these verses. And so I want to talk for a moment or two about joy in the Lord. I want us to begin by accentuating the fact that it is in Jesus that we have access to joy. What is it that makes it possible for us to enjoy a life of deep-seated joy? I believe it is Jesus. As a matter of fact, I think Jesus ought to be the reason why we as God's people claim joyfulness in our lives. Now, as we think about in Jesus we have access to joy, we're underscoring the fact that what makes it possible for us to have a life with Jesus is a life of faith. Over and over again, the New Testament talks about the power of God's word. It may be the case that you and I minimize or maybe we fail to understand and appreciate the power 
of Holy Scripture. The Bible speaks often of this divine power. For example, in Romans chapter 1, Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But listen, if you would, to what Jesus said to his disciples, beginning in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. I think about the words of Jesus in John chapter 6 when he declared himself to be the bread of life. And John tells us that many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And Jesus then asked a question, will you also go away? Simon Peter spoke up and asked the question, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. Jesus spoke words of life eternal. And it is through his word that you and I have the opportunity to enjoy a relationship with him. I mentioned a moment ago, Romans 1, verse 16, where Paul said, God's word is power. It is powerful. It leads to salvation. When Paul wrote to the saints in Ephesus, he said, in whom you also believed, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You remember what Paul said in Romans 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, Peter would say, seeing ye have purified your souls, in obeying the truth through the Spirit. Unto un, unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart, fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which lives and abides forever. And so it's through God's word that we have access to this joy. In other words, that we have access to a relationship with the Lord. Two things, very quickly. Number one, salvation is in Jesus. There is salvation in Jesus. Is that not the message? Is that not the theme of the New Testament? The Old Testament pointed to the coming of the Messiah. The New Testament is simply an affirmation that the Christ has come and salvation is in him. Men and women today that want to enjoy the blessings of salvation have to look to Christ. Paul located salvation in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 10. In Acts chapter 8, we read the account of Philip encountering an Ethiopian eunuch. This man had been to Jerusalem to worship. Some would say he was a proselyte to the Jewish religion. As he was returning back to his homeland, and he was a man of great authority, the Bible says he was reading from Isaiah chapter 53. That's what Luke the historian said. He's reading from chapter 53 about the suffering servant, the Messiah, the Christ to come. When Philip came in contact with him, he asked the question, do you understand what you're reading? Luke tells us that this man responded by saying, how can I except some man guide me? In other words, he needed somebody to teach him the word of God. That's why you and I are so important in the scheme of things because we are an instrument through whom people can believe and obey the gospel. Well, Luke tells us, beginning at that same scripture, 
he preached unto him Jesus. Now in his narration, Luke goes on to say that when they came to certain water, the eunuch said, see here is water, what hinders me from being baptized? They stopped the chariot and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he was baptized. Why was he baptized? Because salvation is in Christ, 2 Timothy 2, verse 10. Well, how does one get into Christ? The only way that the Bible tells us that we can get into Christ is baptism, immersion in water. You see, we have to go where the blood was shed. It was shed in the death of Jesus on Calvary, John 19, 34. That's why Paul would say in Romans chapter 6, verse 4, Know ye not that all we who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. So here is a man that contacted the blood of Christ. Now we talk about the fact that there is salvation in Jesus, but there is also satisfaction in Jesus. It's interesting to note what Luke says about this man following his obedience to the gospel. Luke said he went on his way rejoicing. Why was he rejoicing? I believe he was rejoicing because his sins had been washed away because he had come to understand, to connect the dots, if you please, that Jesus was the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies, specifically Isaiah chapter 53, the one of whom Isaiah said he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So here is somebody who came to experience salvation in Christ. When people are baptized into Christ and they understand what they have done, and the fact that they have been delivered out of the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear son, it's in that sphere that they enjoy redemption, they have all of these great blessings, it ought to spawn rejoicing. It ought to spawn this deep-seated joyfulness that you read about in the New Testament. Now there's a second thing I want you to see as we look at John 15. I want to submit unto you that in Jesus we have abiding joy. Not only do we have access to joy, but we have abiding joy. Pick up with me if you would in verse four. And I want you to note as we read verses four through 10, Note the number of times that Jesus stresses the phrase, abide in me. Listen to what he says. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing. Now drop down and look at verse seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so will you be, so will you be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So over and over again, what does Jesus talk about? Abiding in him. First, there is the duty 
that is imposed on us to abide in the true vine. Jesus, of course, is using a figure of speech. And he is saying that he is the true vine and God the Father is the vine dresser. And we enjoy all of our blessings because we are connected to the vine. And so, in light of that, think for just a moment or two about the duty of of abiding in the true vine. First, Jesus says, there is productivity. Look again at verses four and five. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Now we talk about the kingdom of God, the church of Christ, and all of the blessings associated with being a member of the church and how grateful we ought to be that we are in the blood body of Jesus Christ, that we are a part of the ecclesia, the community of the saved those who have been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. The church is a kingdom. It is a vineyard. There are a number of terms that are used to describe the body of Christ. Vineyards are places where people work. When we talk about the church, there are works that must be ongoing. We have said on numerous occasions that the three distinct works of the church, evangelism, edification, and benevolence. Now I want you to please listen very carefully. There are a lot of good times to be had in the church, whether young or old. And I am grateful for the many opportunities that we have for fellowship. I'm thankful for the numerous numerous activities that take place for young and old alike that could fall under the heading of fun and good times. But the church is not just about fun and good times. The church is also about work. Sometimes it seems like everybody's on board when we're talking about fun and games and good times. Well, it can't just be about fun and games. There is a work that has has to be ongoing. The work of the church must take precedence in our lives. The fun and games are simply byproducts of our works, of our efforts, our activities for the cause of Christ. Now I want to ask you tonight, I've asked it on a number of occasions, I want to ask again. What work in the church are you involved in? You ought to be doing something for the cause of Christ. You ought to be doing something in the name of Jesus. Whether it's evangelism, all of us ought to be evangelistic. We all ought to care enough about those around us who are lost and dying in sin to reach out to them. We had a number of our young people yesterday that went door knocking in this neighborhood. And they went door to door with one purpose in mind, trying to get people to sign up to take Bible correspondence courses or to have a Bible study. Well, that's one of the works of the church. It's not exclusive to young people. All of us ought to be evangelistic. 
There are a lot of ways that we can help and we ought to help. We talk about evangelism, our teaching program. As congregations grow and this congregation is growing, we need more teachers because there is something called teacher burnout. You can't continue to ride a good horse until it dies. People need a break. If you're not teaching, it might be the case that you need to step up and take somebody's place for a while. Give somebody a break. One of the, one of the byproducts of teaching, you always learn more than your class. So if you want to grow, if you want to, if you want to really stretch yourself spiritually, then sign on to teach a class. In so doing, what will you do? You will help edify you will help lay a foundation in the lives of people. And then we talk about benevolence. There are always people in need of help. Physically, materially, we have the opportunity to help people. It might be that you are a great encourager. Write cards, send notes, send emails, pick up the telephone, go, go, to, go to somebody's home, and sit and just visit with them for a little while. These are things that we can do from a productive standpoint as members of the body of Christ. Now, let me ask this question. Why do we do this? Why do we engage in good works? Well, one of the reasons is because the Bible tells us we're supposed to. The Bible says we've been created in Christ Jesus unto good works, Ephesians 2 at verse 10. The apostle Paul said that we are to be zealous for good works in Titus 2 at verse 14. In chapter three, at verse one in the book of Titus, Paul said, be ready unto every good work. And so the idea is, you and I as children of God, we are to be involved. If we're members of the body of Christ, if we belong to the church, if we are a part of the community of the saved, we ought to be doing what we can by way of service. After all, we are servants. Jesus was a servant. He wants us to be a servant. Well, why do we engage in good works? For our own glory? So that people will pat us on the back and talk about what a fine person we are? Everyone likes encouragement. Everyone appreciates someone expressing gratitude for what he or she has done. But we engage in the work of the church so that God in heaven might be glorified. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Listen again to what Jesus said in verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. God is glorified when the church engages in her work. As a matter of fact, the church is the only sphere I know of wherein God is glorified, Ephesians 3, verse 21. We exist to bring honor and glory to Almighty God. Now Jesus said, listen again to what he said. My Father is glorified, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit. If as Christians we are not bearing fruit in our lives, and there are a number of ways that we bear fruit, not just by the works that we engage in, but by the way we live. If we're not bearing fruit, then we're not bringing God glory and honor. And so here's the question. Would he be pleased? 
I think you know the answer. So, we are to be productive, and the reason we are to be productive is because we have a purpose. That purpose is that we are to bring honor and glory to God. Now, consider with me, if you would, the promises. When we, when we abide in the vine, what are the promises extended to us? Now, again, Jesus here is talking to the apostles. But by way of application, there are numerous blessings extended to us by abiding in the vine. So listen, if you would, to what he said in John chapter 15. Note verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Back in chapter 14 at verse 13, Jesus said, Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that your Father may be glorified in the Son. One of the great blessings that I think about that results in abiding in the vine is the privilege of prayer. It is a spiritual blessing. There are a lot of great blessings associated with Christianity and one of the great lessons that, that I believe emerges out of a study of the New Testament are all of the benefits and blessings associated with being a disciple of Christ. But to know that we can turn to Almighty God, that we can look to Him in time of need and that He will be there for us. As Jesus said, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. We've said before that God answers prayer. Sometimes He says yes, sometimes He says no, sometimes He says you need to wait. But just because God says no, just because He says you have to wait doesn't mean He's not there. Doesn't mean He that he's, not con that he's not concerned about us, but rather God in heaven is an all-wise being. He understands what we need, and he understands when we need things in this life. There's another promise, I believe, extended to us, and that is the joy of pardon. When we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, we enjoy pardon. Now, Jesus talks about abiding in me, and the intrinsic blessings associated with abiding in him. Let me tell you what. To know that if we are walking in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus is constantly working in our lives. To know that we can go to bed at night and we don't have to worry, we don't have to fret because we are in Christ, we are saved in Christ, and if the Lord were to come, if death were to come, guess what? We go home to be with him in glory. And so... A lot of blessings associated with being in Christ and abiding in the, in the vine. Now, we talk about the duty of, of abiding in the true vine, but what about the danger of not abiding in the true vine? Well, back up and look at verse six. Here's what Jesus said in verse six. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Anyone that could read these passages and not understand the importance of faithfulness is beyond me. I mean, when you think about Jesus emphasizing over and over again the importance of abiding in him and the blessings associated with abiding in him, and what he's saying is, if you do not abide in me, guess what? You are in trouble spiritually. You're in danger. You're in danger of destruction, of doom, 
of peril. Listen again to what Jesus said. If anyone does not abide in me, he is what? He is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. How much plainer could the Lord be? What Jesus is saying is, if we want, if we want to maintain a relationship with him and enjoy the benefits and blessings of the vine dresser, we better stay connected to him, we better stay faithful to him, we better abide in him. This morning we talked a little bit about how people want to live as they please. They want to live without God, but they want to die with God. You can't have it both ways. If you're going to die with God, then you better be living with God here on planet Earth. You see, the truth of the matter is, one day we're going to stand before Almighty God. We're going to give an account of the deeds done to the body according to what we've done. And so it matters if we abide in the vine. There's a third thing I want you to see in our study. And that is found in verse 11. I want to suggest unto you that in Jesus, we have abundant joy. We have access to joy. We have abiding joy. And we have abundant joy. The fullness of joy. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. Does Jesus want me to be filled with joy? I think the answer is yes. Now, what does it mean to have constancy of joy in my life? Is there joy in the Lord? I believe that there is. Let me share with you three things that I believe are associated with the constancy of joy in the Lord. Number one, I want to submit to you that there is comfort in crisis. That is, in times of crisis. Now, you remember what I said about happiness. Happiness is sometimes dictated by external circumstances. A lot of people in our world today, they'll talk about happiness and they'll talk about how they're happy today and sad tomorrow. They're up today, they're down tomorrow. Well, we're not talking about that which is dictated by externals. But rather we're talking about that which is deep-seated. That which is, is with us day in and day out, 24-7. It never goes away. So what about this comfort in crisis. Let me give you a couple of passages of scripture. In Philippians chapter 1 at verse 13, Paul talks about his chains in the Lord. Now Paul wrote four prison epistles. He wrote four New Testament books from a Roman prison. Most of us, were we in that condition, what would be our attitude? Now you remember what we said about happiness? It's dictated by externals. Well, Paul is writing to the saints in, in the city of Philippi. And one of the expressions that he uses time and again in that book is joy and rejoicing. So in Philippians chapter 1, Paul is talking about how he is a prisoner of the Lord. How he is in chains because of his relationship to the Lord. Well, over in chapter 4, 
when Paul writes to these saints, here's what he says. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, rejoice. In that same chapter, he would say, I have learned in whatever state I am in, therein to be content. You can't tell me Paul's contentment and joy was because of external circumstances, because if anything, his circumstances were unfavorable. But I believe that there was this deep-seated relationship that he had with the Lord. If you read Philippians chapter one at about verse 20, he talks about how Christ is gonna be magnified in his body. He said, whether by life or by death. He would say in verse 21, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain. In verse 23, he would say, to depart and be with Christ is far better. For the apostle Paul, it was all about Jesus Christ. His whole life was, was literally about living for the Lord. In Colossians chapter three at verse four, he would say, Christ who is our life. I believe for the apostle Paul, Jesus Christ was everything. We sing the song, he is my everything. When Jesus is your everything, then, then you have comfort in times of crisis. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation. Yes, Paul could find life tiresome and difficult. He met on any number of occasions, trials and tribulations, disturbing situations, and yet there was this deep-seated joy that I believe remained with him until death. There's a second thing. Not only is there comfort in crisis, but there is triumph in tribulation. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 7 at verse 4, I want you to listen to what Paul said in the long ago. He said, I am filled with comfort. He went on to say, I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. Now I want to ask you the question, how could Paul be joyful in tribulation? Because of external circumstances? Absolutely not. The answer has to be Jesus Christ. Listen again to what Jesus said in John 15, verse 11. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. Paul, I believe, enjoyed abundant joy in his life. And so there is triumph in tribulation. Look at our world. Look at, look at when things turn bad in the lives of people. Look at the despair. Look at the difficulties that people experience in this life and typically how they react in the face of difficulties and trials and tribulations. Read the writings of Paul. I would encourage you to read the book of 2 Corinthians. Read the book of Philippians. And you'll see a man that was triumphant in tribulation, who was comforted in crisis. And there's a third thing. And that is when we talk about the constancy of joy in the Lord, there is something that last. I'm talking about something that really lasts in the midst of our losses. There's a great passage of scripture found in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 at verse 34. And the writer there, of course, in chapter 11, <clears throat> talks about all of the great heroes of faith. 
But here's what the Hebrew writer said in the long ago. He speaks of those who joyfully accepted the plundering of their goods. Now just imagine that. You have been plundered. People have literally taken your material possessions. Paul said, you have joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. Now listen to what he says. Knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. What do you think the writer there is saying? I think what he's saying is there is something that lasts in the midst of our physical losses. The world can strip us bare. The world can leave us with nothing. But the writer is saying we have a better and an enduring possession where? It's in heaven. That's why we're encouraged to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupt nor thieves break through and steal. But rather we are entreated to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven because where our treasure is, that's where our heart's gonna be. So, I think what Jesus is saying is you want a life of joy? You want to experience something that is unknown to many people? Live for me. What is it we have to offer as Christians? I believe what we have to offer, a life of joyfulness. There, there are a lot of benefits to being a child of God. I said a moment ago that you could spend an entire, you, you could really present a whole lesson just talking about the benefits, the blessings, the byproducts of being a child of God. But one of the great blessings associated with being a Christian is this deep-seated joy that remains in us. Look at the life of Paul. Look at how, look at how he viewed life. Look at how he lived and look at how he died. It was all about joy. Joy is in the Lord. I remember when I was just a little fella singing a song during VBS about having the joy, joy, joy of Jesus down in my heart. Well, there is joy in the heart of a believer. There ought to be joy in the heart of a believer. We ought to be grateful for what the Lord has done for us. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for the many blessings and favors that we enjoy in this life. We're thankful for the opportunity to be your children. We're thankful for your presence in our lives on a daily basis. We understand our emotions, our feelings are sometimes dictated by external circumstances. Help us, Father, to find genuine joy in your Son, Jesus. Help us to live with a sense of purpose. Help us to live so that we might bring honor and glory to you. Forgive us when we fail. Help us to always strive to be the kind of people with whom you would be pleased. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, we want to encourage you to come to Christ. We believe Jesus is the Son of God and we want you to believe that same fact. We understand that faith ought to lead to obedience. Those who obey the gospel, they have the promise of salvation. If you're here today and you believe Jesus to be the Son of God and you would be willing to repent of your sins, and by that I mean turn away from a life of sin, confess the name of Christ before others, be immersed in a watery grave of baptism, you have the assurance of knowing every sin is washed away. You can enjoy, as Peter said, the remission of your sins, Acts 2.38. And the promise is if you abide in Jesus and live faithfully until death, you'll have a home in heaven. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful to the cause, maybe your life is not what it ought to be, and you understand that you have not been a productive branch, could we pray with you and for you? The church here needs you. It needs all, it needs all of us. You see, the church is people. We make up the church. If this congregation is going to be what God would have it to be, all of us have to work together, pray together, worship together, serve together. And so if you're not what you ought to be, we want to pray with you and for you tonight as we stand and sing.